Hello, Real Life family and friends. Uh, this is Pastor Tim, excited to be able to share with you again today. And we've been talking about just the newness of the kingdom of God, a new identity, a new authority, a new power, a new family. Uh, and today I want to look at some of Jesus' teachings in one of his most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he talks about what I'm going to summarize as a new way of living. It's really a new law, the new law. The Old Testament, the New Testament, the old way, the new way. And Jesus introduces to his people, to his listeners, a whole different perspective of who God is and how God thinks and interacts with us on the Sermon on the Mount. And I wanted to start by uh, reading Matthew chapter 7, verse 28. At the conclusion of this sermon, and the sermon is actually three chapters long. It's Matthew chapter 5 chapter 6, and chapter 7. And at the end of chapter 7, it says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his teaching. And that was a good amazement. They were drawn to his teaching because he was speaking with, with uh, they say, as one who had authority. And this teaching was different than the Pharisees' teachings and the other religious leaders of the day. And it was bringing hope to them. It was bringing a fire in their belly. It was bringing reality to them, truth to them. And, and they were just gravitating towards the words of Jesus as we see the effect of Jesus' teachings, multitude and multitudes began to follow Jesus, wanting to touch him, hear him, and, and learn from him. And so uh, I pray that God would light a fire on the inside of you and the inside of me as we just look at the words of Jesus together in this Sermon on the Mount. Okay, So we're going to start by just talking a little bit in an overview. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying... And then he goes into this passage of Scripture that's known as the Beatitudes. So I'm thinking about taking a couple of weeks to look at the Sermon on the Mount, and today I want to focus on the Beatitudes. And this is a new law that Jesus is teaching to the people. It's far different from the harsh and judgmental law of the Pharisees, the way that the Pharisees were teaching. Instead of this harsh judgment pressure, Jesus is bringing a message of hope and blessing. The people were under a heavy yoke of religion. They were burdened by the teachings of the day. And so even later in, in this book of Matthew, Jesus has these words to say to them. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So yoke, you know, we know the word yoke as a kind of a contraption that's put upon an ox or an animal uh, where you can um, hook things to and they can drag or pull, they can plow, they can haul. Uh, and so it goes over the shoulders. But in this context, Jesus is talking about the yoke of the teaching of the Pharisees versus the yoke of his teaching. What is the teaching that's placed upon the, the people? And Jesus says, if you are feeling the pressure, if you're feeling the heaviness, if you're tired and you're weary and you're burdened with the yoke of the teaching of religion, 
He says, I have good news for you. Come to me, try my yoke on, for my yoke is light. My yoke is easy, and you will find rest for your souls instead of weariness for your souls. This really is a, uh, just a dynamic uh, illustration of the difference between religion and a relationship with God. So Jesus comes, he does not come to give us a religion. He comes to give us a relationship. And he invites us into a different way of living as a result of encountering this relationship with himself. It's no longer a way of living to earn righteousness. It's no longer a way to earn um, goodness before God or to pay God back from, from high expectations or uh, you know, just the burden of trying to please God. But it is, it is to be serving and loving God through a relationship that compels us to want to love God and do good things and to follow Him. It's a completely different message to the people. And so when he starts out this teaching, um, he's actually bringing a message of blessing, of humility, comfort, of meekness, forgiveness, hunger, mercy, purity, peace, and a promised kingdom even in the midst of persecution. So today we're going to look at the Beatitudes. Now the Beatitudes, um, you may wonder just like I did, like what, what does this word even mean? Is it someone just made up this word? Uh, kind of. <laughs> kind of. So uh, in Latin, beati, uh, which is the first you know, five letters of, of, this, uh, of this Beatitude word, beati means blessed or happy. And so in Latin, beati means to be blessed or happy. And uh, um, there's a guy named Cicero a long time ago who coined this phrase beatitude, which is the state of blessedness, to be in the state of happiness. And so the beatitudes are the different statements that Jesus, is, Jesus makes here in this passage where he says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. And so beatitude means to be in the state of blessedness or happiness. Now, in terms of blessed, though, I want to describe the word blessed before we get into this as well. Blessed means happy, but it means more than happy. Um, happy really is dependent upon conditions, right? I wake up and the sun is shining, and the birds are chirping, I'm happy. Uh, I get a, a bonus uh, check in the mail, I'm happy. Uh, you know, my kids do well, I'm happy. We win the game, I'm happy. Okay, so, but, but if it's raining outside, or if I have a headache, or if I'm not feeling well, or I get a flat tire, I'm unhappy. I'm not happy anymore, okay? So happiness really is connected to circumstances, but blessedness is not connected to circumstances. Blessedness is more than happy. It is like um, having ultimate well-being of your spirit, spiritual joy. It's something that's not dependent on the circumstances around you. In fact, you can be blessed and have a, a flat tire at the same time. You can be blessed even though it might be raining outside. You can be blessed even though you've got difficulties that you're facing. And, and this is the message of Jesus. He's saying there you can, be, you can have ultimate well-being uh, as you live in the kingdom of God, regardless of the circumstances around you, even if you're being persecuted for doing the right things, you are blessed because you know that you are well with God and you are in the kingdom and you know the hope that you have. And so to be blessed it supersedes 
circumstances. And Jesus talks about how blessed we are. So let's go and dive into this message here in the Beatitudes, looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 10. If you want to get your Bibles out, you can read it with me. The first one says, Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit means a person who is humble before God. The opposite of being poor in spirit is to be arrogant, spiritually self-righteous, or spiritually self-sufficient. And Jesus is really talking to the the. The, one of the issues of the day where the religious leaders were very prideful about their religion. They were very um, arrogant before God. And Jesus says, that's not how you enter the kingdom of, of heaven, by earning it, uh, by practicing religion better than other people. That's not how you get into the kingdom of heaven. You get into the kingdom of heaven, you're blessed if you're poor in spirit and you're humble before God. You recognize your need for God and you come to him and you need him and you want him. And that's who the kingdom of heaven is for. You must humble yourselves to receive the kingdom of heaven. You can't earn it. It is a gift from God and it goes to those who ask God, who seek God, who desire God. James 4, 6 says it this way. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I mean, God literally, I always think of this verse, when I think of this verse, I think of the Heisman Trophy, where it's a football player, he's got the football tucked under his one arm, but he's got a stiff arm like this going out. And it's, I always think of that when I think of God opposing uh, the proud. I think, I don't want God to stiff arm me. And that's what the Bible says, is God is opposing, he's against those who are prideful, depending upon themselves, because that's the opposite of what we need to be towards God. But he gives grace to the humble. Do you see? God pours out his grace and welcomes the humble before him because they show their need for him. So I hope that you are humble and poor in spirit. All right, the second one. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And Jesus brings a message of comfort, of compassion, of care. He's showing that God cares for us, that God isn't this stiff, you know, uh, dictator up in the sky, chop, 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 all these rules, you better do this, you better not, and if you don't, zap, zap you know, I'm going to get you, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to hurt you. Um, that's not the message that Jesus brought to us. And remember that the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. When we see Jesus, when we hear Jesus, we are seeing the true reflection of the Father. So Jesus isn't making something up here. He is bringing to light the true nature of God. And God cares for you. God is the Father of all compassion. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 1, 3-4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. And so God is with you. God is for you. And this is a great message uh, that the people love to hear, that God actually cares about me, that God will actually comfort me, that God actually is, is interested in, in my troubles. Wow, this is a new message to them. All right, thirdly, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
And meek in this is not a weakling. It's not someone with no spine. It is someone who is humble, acknowledges his dependence upon God and, and God's goodness in his life or her life. So to be meek is, again, to recognize that I am under God, that God is over me, that I am dependent upon God for my life, for everything. And God says, when you see God as your provider, as you are meek, you will inherit the earth. You will lack nothing that you need. You see, it's when we think of ourselves as our own uh, self-sufficient uh, providers that we cut God off from his role of provider in our lives. And so really this meekness is not about, you know, uh, someone that doesn't have any uh, strength or something like that. It is about the position of our hearts towards God, recognizing that he is greater than us. He is our provider. And so when we recognize that God is our provider, God provides. When we, when we don't and we put ourselves in the place of God, now all the pressure's on us. All the, all the effort has to come from us because we're cutting God off from that. All right, the next one Jesus says is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is my, I think this is my favorite beatitude. I just love this idea that God says, if you're hungry for me, if you're thirsty for me, if you want me, you're going to get it. You're going to get me. You're going to find me. I love this. Who wants God? Who hungers for God? You know, who longs to be close to God? What an awesome promise that God says, if you hunger for me, you will be filled with me. If you're thirsty for me, I will fill you. So let's be hungry for God instead of the things of this world. James 4, 8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Matthew 6, Jesus says it this way, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. If you put God first, then you'll have everything else that you need. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. Call on God. Reach out to God. Seek God. Joel 2.32, uh, I think Paul quotes this prophet when he says this, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Romans 10, uh, 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 13, Paul quotes this verse and says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's call on God. Let's seek Him. Let's hunger for Him, and we will be filled. This is awesome. You know, again, I just keep thinking about what the people were used to hearing, that, that they were far from God. They needed to do all these things to get close to God. All the sacrifices, you know, all, uh, dealing with all of their mistakes trying to live up to these, these standards of religion. And they didn't feel close to God. They felt distant from God. In fact, only the high priest could get to the presence of God once a year on one day, you know, and everybody else was on, were outsiders from the presence of God. And here Jesus is saying, you can have God. You can have all that you're hungry for, all that you're thirsty for. This is just an amazing message. And this is something we should not take for granted, that we can have the presence of God right now, right where we are. We don't have to go to a temple. We don't have to live up to some impossible standards. We just got to want Him, seek Him, ask Him, call on Him, draw near to Him, and He'll fill us. He'll fill us to overflowing. All right, Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Now, in Exodus chapter 21, 
we are exposed to the a summary of the Old Testament law, which can be summarized as eye for eye, tooth for tooth. It comes from Exodus chapter 21, verses 23 to 25, where it says, If there is a serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. And that was justice. That's how things were done. Is if you did something to someone else and hurt them, they would do the same thing to you. And, and yet Jesus is coming and he's saying the real intent of this law is love. It's not justice and punishment. So justice is, is part of God, yes. But it's not the intent of the law was to teach people how valuable everyone is and that we need to love each other as we love ourselves. And that's how Jesus began to frame things as he started to explain to people, now I want to teach you the real intent of God's law, and it's mercy. God has mercy on us. We don't get what we deserve. If we did get what we, we deserve, none of us would be saved. None of us would have any hope. None of us would uh, be forgiven of our sins because we'd have to pay for them ourselves. And yet God begins to show us through Christ and through the, the message that he's a God of mercy, a God of compassion, a God of comfort. And that if we, uh, we are going to receive the mercy of God, we then need to share that mercy with other people. We need to be merciful and forgive. Okay, Jesus goes on to say, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And this is, in the, in the, in the mindset of, of a listener during Jesus' day, impossible to come to a place where they are pure in heart. How could they actually have purity of heart? How could they be forgiven of all their sins? How could they be in a place where um, they are completely cleansed and, and washed clean? This was impossible in their mind because it, it could, we could never get there because of the blood of the animals and the goats and the bulls and the cows or whatever, you know, was never gonna be enough to cover their, their sin perpetually. And yet Jesus is saying, that I have a new message for you and you can be pure in heart. And I love this story in Mark chapter 2. So I want to talk about this story real quick. I'm going to read it for you. Verses 1 to 12. It says, A few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whoa, <laughs> what are you talking about? This is a completely different message. No one's ever said that before because no one can do that except God, except God. And Jesus says in front of this crowd, Son, your sins are forgiven. So it says, Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? He's challenging their personal beliefs and their teaching style because they they would never say something like that obviously and he says which is easier to say to this paralyzed man your sins are forgiven or to say get up take your mat and walk but i want you to know 
that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. Then they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Okay. And so Jesus is saying, you can have forgiveness of sins. The son of God came that you might experience a purity in heart. You can be forgiven of all your sins and unrighteousness. And Jesus begins to share that new message with people. And there, there is this amazing feeling that comes over the people to realize they can be forgiven of everything. They can be pure in heart. They can be with God. They can be in God's presence because their sin has been dealt with. This is just, this is just bigger than Christmas, right? I mean, this is, this is the, the best thing that you can hear is that I can be in the presence of God. I qualify. I'm not an outsider anymore. Wow. And that's true for you and for me today through what Jesus Christ has done for us. You are not an outsider. You don't have to remain on the outside. Jesus paid for our sins so we could be forgiven, cleansed of all unrighteousness, have a purity of heart, and we can see God. We can be in his presence. We can experience his love and his joy and his peace. We can be set free from regret and shame and condemnation and guilt. Praise God. This is the new law, the law of love. A new way of living life. It's a new life that we get to live through Jesus Christ. And finally, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. doesn't sound like uh, being persecuted would make me happy. Again, remember, blessedness is bigger than happiness. Blessed, blessedness means that I have ultimate well-being, and that there is nothing on this earth that can take away the inner peace, wholeness, security, and joy that I have, that I belong to God. I'm in the kingdom of heaven. My eternal destiny is secure. God loves me, and he's for me, and he's with me. I am blessed, no matter what happens. And Paul even says it this way. He says, whether I live or whether I die, you know, I'm, I'm living by faith in God. And he knows that even if the body ceases to, to exist, uh, stops working, that it's better for me that I am in the presence of Jesus than I am here in, in this body of, of death. And so for the Christian, even death itself is something that we transcend into life and into the presence of God. The worst thing that can happen, you know, uh, in this world is for us to die. And yet that is the very... God has redeemed that moment where we enter immediately into the presence of God and it becomes the best moment of our lives. Not for those that we leave behind, there's going to be sorrow and grief, but our future is secure in Him. So even in persecution, Jesus says, I want you to live differently. I want you to think differently. We're not out for revenge. Uh, revenge. We're not, not out to get even. We're not going to be angry. Now, this is hard I, this is not easy. I'm not perfect at this. You know, this is difficult. But this is what Jesus says to us in Luke chapter 6, verses 26 to 27. He says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. <laughs> Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. 
If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those who you expect a repayment from, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. So Jesus said, I want you to live differently. I have a new way of living for you. Okay? He says, but love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. And here's the, the whole point. Jesus says, because God, He, is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Why do we live differently? Because God, God is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. So we do what God does. Why? Because he, we have received from God the very same thing He's telling us to give to one another. We have received mercy, so we give mercy. Uh, we have been ungrateful. We have been wicked. And yet we have been, God has been kind to us. So we are to be kind to others who are ungrateful and wicked. Now, this is not easy. I'm not saying it. But there's five things Jesus tells us very clearly to do to those who are persecuting you, those who are your enemies. Number one, love them. Number two, do good to them. Number three, bless them. Number four, pray for them. And number five, give or lend to them freely. And none of that makes sense in the natural mind. And none of that makes sense in a worldly mind. But we are living a different life as Christians. We have received freely. And so Jesus says, now give freely. We have everything we need so we don't have to worry about you know, what we have and what we're trying to save or keep or hoard. We have a life that God has given us that He has redeemed. It doesn't belong to us anymore. And God says, now that I've redeemed you, I have saved you, you have eternal life in me, now give it away. Give your life away and love as I have loved you. Wow, this is the message. And it's at the conclusion of this message that I started in the beginning when I said the people said to themselves, Wow, what is this teaching? They were amazed at Jesus' teaching because it just hit them at the core and it brought them to life and it instilled in them a new relationship with God, a new perspective of their life and the value of their life and the value of the lives of those around them and the fact that they could be close to God. And this is a God of love, of mercy, of comfort, of forgiveness. And he's calling me to do the same thing to those around me. So I want to conclude this message by referring to one more passage of Scripture that really kind of almost mirrors this, this teaching of Jesus in the Beatitudes. And it's Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. Jesus quoted this Scripture, uh, what I think was his first message in a synagogue, and it was in his hometown of Nazareth. Nazareth. And he read this Scripture from the scrolls. And then he said to his listeners, this scripture is being fulfilled in your hearing right now. And he was talking about himself. So let me read this to you. It says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up 
the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. This passage is not only what Jesus came to do, but what Jesus and through His Spirit is now anointing you and I, the church, to continue to do in our lifetime. I'm going to break this down very quickly and, and say to you that the Spirit of the Lord is now upon you. And you are now anointed as His disciple and His follower to do the very same things that Jesus did for you to others. It is the Holy Spirit in you, living with you, flowing through you to do the same works that Jesus did for you and for me to other people. So let me just break this down very quickly. First of all, you are anointed by God. And John 14, 17, Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. The same spirit that was upon Jesus, he has released from heaven to fill you and empower you for this good work. So you too are anointed by God, by the presence of the Holy Spirit to do these things. To proclaim good news to the poor. Really, this is again, not poor people, but humble people, poor in spirit, people who want God. So God has anointed you to bring the message of the gospel to people who are looking to get close to God, those who are humble before God, those who are hungry for God. And God is going to put people around you and you're going to seek those people out. And the Spirit of God is going to anoint you to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those that want God. There's people that need God. They need Jesus. They just don't know Him yet. And the Spirit of God is upon you to bring that message, to proclaim the good news. Second thing, part here is he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And God wants us to experience healing in our souls. There's, the the brokenhearted is not just uh, grieving people that we've lost, but it's brokenhearted, broken dreams, broken opportunities, regret, and the pain of life and the sin that's been done to us and that we have done um, ourselves and just the hurt in our souls. And Jesus came to heal, and now Jesus is calling you to go and heal the brokenhearted. You are anointed to do this. You can do this. God is going to lead you and guide you. To proclaim freedom for the captives, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage. We no longer have to live bound by sin, bound by guilt, bound by condemnation, bound by labels, bound by hurt. We can be free from addiction through Jesus Christ, and you are anointed to set captives free. Amen? You can do this. God in you, flowing through you, can set the captives free. Hallelujah. Release from darkness for the prisoners, the depravity of mind, will, and soul, the darkness of our fallenness, the way that we think and we perceive, all of that. Jesus wants to bring us out of that darkness into His light. He wants us to see 
his will. He wants us to see and understand uh, his love. He wants to, to, uh, to have his thoughts and his will. And God has anointed you to bring people out of darkness, dark thinking, uh, you know, dark uh, motives, and to bring purity of heart, purity of motives, righteousness into their thinking. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And God is a God who says, go take this message to people. I love them. My favor is upon them. I have forgiveness for them. I have restoration for them. I'm restoring them. This is the year of favor. And the year of favor, the year of jubilee, people's debts were forgiven. People were restored to their original land, right? The, the slate was clean. And God says, take the message that the favor of God is now upon them. They can be forgiven of their sins. They can have a clean slate. Uh, they can be restored to, the, to who I made them to be. Praise God. The Lord is upon you. The Spirit of God is upon you to do these things. It goes on to say, the day of vengeance of our God, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Now, vengeance of God is judgment on his enemies. And the enemies of God are sin, the devil, and death. And so you have authority over those enemies. You have authority over sin. You have authority over uh, the devil and, and evil spirits. And, and you will ultimately win over death itself. Christ, our resurrection one. The first fruits of the resurrection will raise you from the dead someday if you pass before Jesus comes again. And so God has put his enemies under our feet through the power of Jesus Christ and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. No weapon formed against you will prosper and, and uh, you will stomp on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. And you can break spiritual strongholds over yourself and over people's lives because the Spirit of the Lord is upon you to do that. Hallelujah. We're not waiting for Jesus to show up. The Spirit of God is upon us. He is in us. This is who we are as a church. This is a new way of living. A new way of living. Also, to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. God wants you to be a source of comfort. And when people um, sense the love of God, the peace of God, the comfort of God, the compassion of God coming through you, there is a relief. There is a rest from sorrow. There is a comfort that comes to the soul. And, and God comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those, you know, from the comfort we have received. We can comfort those that God has given us that comfort for. And, and that's just a beautiful blessing. Finally, goes on to say, to bestow on them three things. A crown of beauty instead of ashes, beauty. The oil of joy instead of mourning, joy. And a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, praise. God wants us to be filled with beauty, joy, and praise. He doesn't want us beat down, beat up, kicked down, you know, worn out, um, dragging through life. He wants us to have joy, beauty, and praise. He wants to restore us from the hurt of this world, the pain of this world. And His Spirit is upon you to do that for people around you. Just believe that God is going to provide you the words, the ideas, the energy, the insight to be His anointed one to the people around you. Finally, the last phrase here says, They, you and I, the people of God, the children of God, will be called oaks of righteousness, 
a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Oaks of righteousness, to me, <clears throat> speaks of a strong, strong uh, and ordered, you know, an oak is a strong tree. It's a hard wood. It's strong. It's stable. It's sturdy in righteousness. And God wants to establish you in righteousness, not because you need to be a goody two-shoes or a good Christian, but because righteousness produces life. And God wants to put your life in order so that you are living a righteous life, so that you are prospering and blossoming. And you are to be this display to the world of what God can do to a life that he redeems, that he can restore us, he can fill us, he can heal us, he can make us into a muddy oak tree of righteousness. And we are to, we are to be a, a, a display to the world of God's handiwork. So when he says the planting of the Lord, that means this is a work of God in my life. I'm not a good person because I, I become a good person or something like that. It's because God has done something in me. And I, God is the one who planted the seeds of life in me. He's the one who, who um, uh, re, uh, rebirthed my spirit, right? I was born again in Him, through Him, through the seed of the Spirit. And now that kingdom is growing in me, and that righteousness is growing in me, and it's all because it's the handiwork of God. In fact, God is my gardener. God, God is your gardener. And He will prune you, and He will care for you, and He will nurture you, and you are a work of God. And finally, for the display of a splendor, you are to be reflecting God's image on the earth. You are on display of who God is and what God can do in your life. You are God's billboard for living a new life. May you shine. Later in this chapter, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says these words. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are to be a, a display of splendor, a handy work masterpiece of God to the world, the image of God reflecting through your life. This is a new way of living. We live the Beatitudes. We are blessed because we are God's children. We can be humble. We can be hungry. We can be um, comforting. Uh, we can be prospering even in, in the midst of persecution. We can love our enemies. You know, these are things that Christ is calling us to do because of who we are, because we're redeemed, and it reflects his image to the earth. I want to pray for you. Lord, I pray for those who are watching right now, for this person right here. God, I pray that your message of love and comfort and peace, your message of compassion and, uh, and closeness to you will just permeate our hearts and our minds today. And Lord, that you will continue the work that you began in us, that we might be these mighty oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord on display, a display of splendor, that we look at our lives and people look at our lives and say, that must be a work of God. And may we be fruitful. May we be overflowing. May we be filled with your love and joy and peace. May you help us to live this new life that you called us to live by your spirit. We thank you, Jesus, that you came to save us. Today, for whoever, Lord, is watching right now, right now, if this is you, 
And they hunger for you. They need you. They want you. Not religion. They want you. Jesus, right now we pray that you would come and become the Lord of our life. That you would fill our souls. That you would um, bring us to new life in you. And we commit our life to you, Lord. We thank you for the promise in Joel chapter 2 and Romans chapter 10 that says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So right now we call on you, Jesus. Save us. We need you. We want you. And we thank you that you have given us a new life today in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. I pray um, that you'll have a wonderful week, a fruitful week. And let me just uh, speak the, the blessing of the Lord over you right now and your family. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace in his name. Amen. Amen. I love you. Hope to see you soon.